0: I thought that game five was one of the weirdest, most classic nights in NBA history. And then I was in the building for this ridiculous night, a ridiculous game, the Oracle crowd going completely insane the whole game. It was an old school Oracle crowd for the last game ever at Oracle Arena, which everyone knew. The Raptors came out absolutely on fire, played like champions, deserving champions in this one as they won at 114 to 110. So many great players on their team finally getting uh, the recognition uh, that they deserve and and the joy of a championship but to have the air sucked out of the building as clay thompson goes down head back into the tunnel being helped off holding he's holding the front of his knee coming down in a way that you've just seen that buckle and gotten sick to your stomach so many times before realizing that as he's being helped off he can't return to the game and then after a replay review and a timeout to see him return to the floor, the crowd to go completely insane, makes two free throws, just starts jogging back on defense and you're like is it, are they just gonna play it out and then demarcus takes the foul on siakam the wraps in the bonus by the way siakam hits two free throws they had to foul to get him out of there they send him to the back he says to steve kerr just give me two minutes and i'm ready to go and then he never returned and a diagnosis when you saw the film of him leaving the building before the game was even over you knew it was really bad and now his agent confirming to Woj that he in fact has a torn acl the warriors suffer a torn achilles tendon and a torn ACL to Kevin Durant and Klay Thompson on back-to-back game I I, like the juxtaposition of the incredible joy from the Raptors and I don't even know if it was devastation for the Warriors like they were after the game you know the, the locker room like it wasn't anywhere close to the way it was after 2016 in there where everyone was morose and Steph I still always remember Steph Curry coming across the locker room with all the media in there and, and like giving a bear hug to Draymond Green and you know whispering something to him and likely vowing that they'd be back and the 73 win season down the drain like everyone was I think they just knew it wasn't their year essentially that's what, what Draymond said and that it just wasn't going to happen for them that they almost had accepted that by the time the final buzzer went off what's going to stick with you the the most from this night
1: I hope that it's the excellence that the Raptors showed overall in this series so many players that I've enjoyed enjoyed watching over the years many getting their first championships others getting a legacy affirming championship most notably Kawhi Leonard in that second camp but I mean for me thinking about we the time that we've been doing dunked on and the Raptors playoff struggles one of the people not the only one but one of the people at the forefront of that has been Kyle Lowry and Kyle Lowry started this game with an 11-2 run that was some you know open shot making but some of it was just excellent. Excellence on his part and getting getting that driving layup that he had. I think that was the yeah, second. The, the-, the
0: Warriors came out with a plan to switch and he just busted that apart immediately.
1: Right. And some of that was also some really good tactical stuff from Nick Nurse. Like they basically, they the first move, once they realized the Warriors were going to switch everything by starting Kevon Looney, they started their action by trying to get Clay off of Kyle Lowry. And then they would run the action typically with Marcus. Soul. So then basically the Warriors are choosing between switching and then you have Looney on Lowry and curry on gasol or going under and then lowry's getting an open three or or any other or driving lane or however they're going to do it and so lowry goes off to this 11 to start the only two being a, a a dunk by Kevon looney and kind of a broken play and we're like oh we've we've seen this movie before of the raptors running the warriors off the court playing really well when kevin Durant was unavailable and that was just one of the one of the early times that this game actually that was kind of the first two where it zigged where i thought it was going to zag and and the, with the Warriors eventually coming back and everything else. But Lowry's start to me is, is going to be memorable just because I remember thinking like, oh, well, great for him, first of all. But also, okay, that's, that's just the way this game is going to go.
0: Yeah, and the Raptors were better than the Warriors uh, all game. Yes. They gave up. They gave up twelve free throws to Stephen Clay in the first half on jump shots that helped uh, to keep it remotely close. And Andre Iguodala had a crazy throwback game, uh, both shooting the three and getting to the basket. He clearly was feeling a lot more spry, but. Uh, you know it was clear that the warriors were just one player short again with with kd out uh, looney was very limited and he was having a lot of trouble finishing around the rim the raptors were helping off of him uh, they came out much more aggressive uh, on steph and clay uh, as a general proposition you know they tr- Warriors tried to go to bogan at the end of the first quarter and they had to take him out because he just couldn't make a play uh, when they're doubling off of him uh, out on the floor and you know demarcus had some moments uh, with 12 points uh, although he struggled from the foul line as the warriors did you know that's something they could look back on is that uh the non-stephan clay warriors were five out of 14 for, from the foul line but the raptors had to miss free throws too and, and while well, they started off really hot seven of 14 from three in the first quarter it was clearly you know the warriors weren't weren't stopping them uh it was incredible that the warriors were in the game and actually had a lead late and clay thompson was the biggest reason why 30 points on only 12 shots from the field another 10 to 10 from the foul line it, he had two steals. He was awesome defensively. Again, they they did a pretty good job on Kawhi Leonard in this game, holding him to 22 points. So it was a relatively efficient 22.
1: One stat on Clay's night that I thought was I thought was notable: he had eight free throws. All eight of his points in the second quarter were on free throws. He had eight in Clay Thompson's entire 737 game career. He's had eight or more free throws in a game just 28 times, and was able to was able to get that. You know, got fouled on a couple of jump shots. Shots and and it was and the other the other two incidentally were the were the last two of of his season and you know so you saw guys succeeding in in, in different ways this was another Draymond Green triple double in an elimination game loss in the NBA finals
0: yeah he almost had a quadruple double too he was
1: throwing <laughs> yeah, the ball he, he all over almost, the gym with he the almost turnovers. did yeah uh,
0: but but you know I mean Draymond is very much a field player and just not having those same guys and there's certainly the Raptors made him uncomfortable but there's a lot of plays where he just you know he would lead guys who just weren't moving that way you know and a a lot of times those were plays to to guys who you know either there wasn't the spacing that he's used to working with uh, or it was guys that he you know doesn't have the same chemistry with it as some of these guys he's been playing with for uh, a long time uh nick nurse coached a fantastic game uh went back to the box and won again uh it worked pretty well uh when clay was out of the game and and it was just Steph. uh he went away from mark gasol to Serge Ibaka to close both halves and Ibaka responded with plus 9 15 points Gasol was 0 of 5 you know really had a number of plays on short rolls where he could have just gone to the rim and the Warriors just weren't playing him to score and he still was passing it up to, to the weak side he, he was making some mistakes and Ibaka was better as well getting out on the floor defensively so Nurse went to Ibaka and, and that was absolutely the right decision he started Van Vliet again in the second half and Van Vliet responded with more of that late clutch magic with uh 5 of 11 from Dantani Hill huge threes in the fourth quarter uh, they have three threes in the fourth quarter it was something pretty crazy like that uh i know he had at least two like both of them like very late in the clock he
1: did have three. he yeah. did have three it was three of yeah. five on threes in the fourth quarter alone
0: yeah but it was just it was obvious that the raptors were were better given the personnel available even when clay was available the warriors were at least a player or two short i mean even to get this ridiculous iguodala performance um the other thing is steph curry just wasn't good enough tonight uh and certainly there was a ton of defensive attention and you know much of what Iguodala was able to do much like in the 2015 finals was because so much attention was being paid to Curry and they're operating in four on threes or three on threes a lot of the time uh but Steph was was only three of 11 for three and he had some pretty darn good looks uh, including uh, that last one the Warriors handled the end of the game incredibly well I thought uh at least from a strategic standpoint they made some bad gambles that didn't work out like Draymond going for this he was next to Siakam goes for the steal and Pascal's I mean, he really did a wonderful job against Draymond Green all season and just as much tonight in 46 minutes for him nick nurse took him out of the game in game five because he wasn't playing good enough defense that definitely wasn't the case he was awesome he and ibaka protecting the rim and so he just avoided draymond swipe at the ball and it floated home what eventually became the winning margin for the raptors to put him up by three and the warriors did an amazing job giving the raptors a taste of their own medicine uh trapping and forcing a terrible turnover from van vliet that was draymond all draymond green just pressuring him up just over half court and from, forcing from danny Turnover. Oh, Danny current. Green. Sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah my bad. That's right. uh, yeah, that's more likely that it would be Danny Green.
1: Yeah, and so Danny yeah, Green. I, I, yeah. I,
0: I like can't even remember the game right now.
1: It's yeah, just well, like, I'll, I'll, all I'll, stuff I'll walk through afterwards. that. So yeah, so basically they forced the ball out of Kawhi's hands, and then they didn't. It wasn't a function. It wasn't a trap in the technical sense on Danny Green, but because he had crossed half court and Draymond Green was guarding him, the both the sideline and the half court line served as two other defenders that pinned Danny Green in. He throws a pass to and they didn't have any timeouts left they had they had already used their final timeout previously to to because Kyle Lowry didn't think he could get the ball in and they were it would he didn't want a chance to pass which I understand and so then Green throws the ball to really the only guy in the area Siakam but it was too wide so Siakam can't catch it and landed bounds so then that is what gave the Warriors the ball with 10 seconds left down just a point and then you know we were kind of wondering well who's it going to go to I mean we kind of expected it was going to be Curry and he got a better look than i anticipated but still you know he was fading a little bit there were i think two raptors near him they've been selling out to make other warriors beat them all night and you know the curry still did get that shot off and draymond and, and, and like i think there was a chance it might have been demarcus cousins kind of had a shot if they if he grabbed the rebound but couldn't get it cleanly the yeah, ball...
0: well, well Kawhi just made an amazing play to take it away from him oh uh, yeah that's right just I, I mean the the stickiness of Kawhi leonard's hands in this series it was just ridiculous but i mean that play call i mean i thought it was a great play call you saw them lob it into Draymond. you're like oh my god what are they doing uh but you know that's one that brad stevens has actually run before and because van vliet was trying to deny curry the ball now van vliet's all the way on the other side of curry uh they're able to get a good screen and Curry was open. Ibaka got fooled just a little bit, uh, but was able to get back into position and, and Van Vliet trailing behind him. But, you know, Curry missed or, or made a similar look to tie the game uh, in game five, but wasn't able to deliver uh, on this one. And I, I think he was 0 for 3 on threes in the fourth quarter. All of them like pretty darn decent looks. And yeah, the Raptors were going to the box and one for a while. Uh, I thought Kerr finally actually drew up some really good stuff. Uh, I don't know if it was Kerr or just the, the improvisation. One play, it was Gudalla just faked towards Curry's side as he's coming off the screen, and then threw it to Quinn Cook for a wide open three. Another time, Curry actually screened the man in the zone for Quinn Cook, knowing that no one was, that Van Vliet was never going to leave him, and so that left Cook wide open. Those uh, a couple of threes that Cook could have made, uh, missed some obviously in Game Four as well. He was big in Game Two, but you know that's a, those are kind of the breaks, uh, and the Warriors just didn't have enough, uh, even with you know Cousins making a heroic effort at the end and Kerr just trying to get guys in he, he went to a pretty decent lineup that had Looney and Livingston together they actually were able to finally stop the Raptors a little bit with that group but then they had no spacing at all it was it, you just for every moment you felt like this team has has no chance and like how is it even this close uh as you got down the end a couple other small notes uh, obviously there was that part at the end with Draymond calling the timeout that they didn't have and the rule is that you lose possession if you do that that's from going back to the 76 finals with uh paul westfall taking advantage of the fact that you could uh, call a timeout you didn't have and the other team would shoot a technical but then you still would get to inbound the ball uh they that loophole was fixed then i thought the warriors didn't do a good job of knowing who this referee crew was they did a lot of call seeking behavior draymond tried the rip through move twice and just lost the ball both times because mark davis is just not going to go for that he's famous for not rewarding call seeking behavior whatever his other flaws are as a referee they had a bunch of plays where they would try to like flop on the offensive boards when the ball wasn't even close to them and they gave up fast breaks Uh, so I, i thought the warriors could could have done better there but it really i I think the things i want to focus on more uh, than this game because like honestly the game kind of bummed me out like once clay went out it was like all right the raptors are going to win this thing and if they don't win it tonight they're going to win it in game seven really easily i it it almost i'm almost glad that it was over in six frankly because you know the series was over when clay thompson uh as we later found out tore his acl and that's that's not a discredit to the raptors it's just they're so good the warriors were just not going to win it uh so i would talk more obviously about what the clay acl means and more so just about how the raptors got to this point and and, uh, some of the people who deserve recognition uh, on what has been an awesome team uh, all year long but first uh want to tell you about quip if you're looking for something to give to your dad or for someone who has just graduated maybe someone who's just graduated from high school going to college next year they got a dorm room with maybe just a small sink or or there's a communal bathroom situation quip would be an awesome gift because it's an electric toothbrush that's basically the size of a regular toothbrush and you don't have to charge it it just has a AAA battery that you replace every three months you can even get them their subscription uh, as well to get brush heads delivered automatically a lot of uh college students are, are not the greatest at, at kind of figuring out how to live life uh, on their own things like getting a new toothbrush uh, when you need it so sign them up for that subscription plan and you don't have to worry that they're not getting a, a good brush and it's only five dollars uh, to get on that subscription plan for new brush heads Every three months. I love Quip, uh, especially when I'm traveling. Fits right in my DOP kit. Got a, a great holder that you can either stick to the mirror or stand up on your countertop. The way to get started with them, and you can get started with them, by the way, for a mere $25, is to go to slash capspace. Easy to remember because we talk about capspace all the time around the program. That's slash capspace, G T Q I P dot capspace. Don't forget that slash capspace URL. And of course, you won't because we talk about it constantly. But more importantly, that's slash capspace url we'll let him know that you came from us i mean i think we got to start at the top when talking about this raptors group and masai ujiri who was both of our picks for executive of the year before these playoffs began it is a peer voted award but if you're going to vote on it after the playoffs uh, i mean you would have to give it to him uh, just the the myriad moves that he made just to, in the last 12 months but even to, to build this team that when he started was looking like a massively long rebuilding project yeah DeRozan and Lowry were already on the roster but you know no one was thinking that they were great at the time and to just continue to build uh, over these years over all these disappointments just so many moves and we it'd be hard to go through all of them but even in the, in the last 12 months they're just amazing
1: I just want to mention the first one because I pulled up his basketball reference page and 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 was appreciated it in terms of how also it it tells the, this story. the first
0: move that he ever made as GM
1: as GM of the Toronto Raptors was the Andrea Bargnani trade the Andrea Bargnani trade the first round pick they got in that deal w- became Yaka Pertl who was a key part in the Kawhi Leonard trade and they got a lot for nothing in in that deal yeah, and
0: but Bargnani was a bad contract and they got a first for him
1: yeah it, it's incredible that same calendar year they got the they that was when they traded Rudy Gay the the trade where they got Patrick Patterson and Sammons, Salmons Salmons and Grievous Vasquez. I mean, just going back that far, a lot of a lot of really good moves, but then the culmination, the, the decision to Get Kawhi Leonard. I actually listened to the podcast that we did on the, on my way back from Oracle. I listened to the podcast we did after after the trade, kind of going, trying to process what the team was. And a lot of the uncertainty that we had was good to get it from that perspective was, where is Kawhi Leonard going to be? Because it was coming off of this strange lost year and the estrangement from the San Antonio Spurs. And one, one of the big things we talked about was just like, A, the Raptors' defense is going to be, like, their defensive talent is fantastic. But if Kawhi Leonard is Kawhi Leonard again, this is going to be a damn good team. And I didn't see this coming, but it's, I mean, it's incredible. Yeah.
0: I mean, I, what I said is that if Kawhi could get back to the same level he was at, and defensively he didn't, but offensively I think he was pretty darn close mm-hmm. in 16 17, that this would be the best team in the East. And also that they matched up really well defensively with the Warriors. As it turned out, it wasn't quite in the way I thought because the Warriors, of course, didn't have KD in this series. And they also weren't using Ananobi, who had started for them last year and played a huge role, like guarding LeBron James in that series and looked really good. You know, he had, he had a loss here. So they weren't just you know, out there switching everything with a really mobile group but it was a great defensive team for guarding Golden State, and Pan Fleet was awesome at that as well. Uh, and then the move to get Marcus Holt. We had speculated that maybe to balance out the roster and get another center, that they might try to move Dale on Wright and get a center. And, and the fact that they're able to get Marcus Holt, get off of probably bad money in Valentinus and CJ Miles, and not even have to give up any future picks just to, to move Wright, who was a restricted free agent and they couldn't have afforded it anyway. I and mean, just an incredible trading Gasol it wasn't as important he had big games in this series but I mean he probably won- they don't win that Philly series without his effort on Joel Embiid you would think and he had some big games in the Toronto in the Milwaukee series too he, uh, not that they would have struggled with Orlando anyway but he completely sut- shut down Vucevic made that an easy series so uh, Masai hit all the right buttons and then of course firing the coach of the year and hiring the lead assistant who turned out to be an awesome hire I mean one of the more creative coaches is and one who has enough emotional intelligence or high enough character players to get buy-in to go with some of these unconventional strategies.
1: Not only to go with unconventional strategies, but from the top down to have the proper approach on Kawhi Leonard, that they were, you know, if he needed time off, they gave him time off. Nick Nurse, Bontemps had a piece on this, I believe, middle of the season about his approach to experimentation, that he wanted to try a lot of things out. And I think a lot of that mentality, but also the experience that they got, uh, trying some zone stuff, trying some unconventional un- unconventional schemes. All of that suited them well at various points during the playoffs including against the Warriors. I mean, I don't recall them doing any box and one, but if you think about a team that that's gets that idea that it's not we're doing the same thing every day that we're gonna try different approaches Nick nurses fit in really well with that and yeah a lot of a lot of really impressive moves and something else that i really enjoyed about this Raptors series but also broadly about their run eight eight key rotation players and really you know maybe the possible exception Powell did have that one push i think that was the end of game three but all of them had a had a real shining moment in this series you know like Danny Green had a lot of quiet moments as well but he had that six of ten. That was that was remarkable, and Gasol had some moments, and Siakam sat for the end of game nine. Uh, sorry, at the end of game five, but then twenty six points in the closeout game, plays forty six minutes, like a, a lot of those guys. Lowry had had a huge series, and I really enjoyed that. So if you want to think about it from the championship DVD perspective, I don't even know if they still make those anymore. And considering those players were all were basically all brought in by Masai Ujiri, that works as a kind of a victory lap for him as well.
0: Well, and he also built a roster that really had no weakness I and mean, that is so hard to do in the playoffs and you know there, they had moments where some guys who were good at some things mostly shooting like fanfleet and Green in that Philly series just couldn't make anything but when you looked at this team on paper coming in you're like what is the weakness of the team I mean maybe creation outside of Kawhi would, would be the only the only thing you could point to but I mean man what a, a versatile group and you know no weaknesses from a team standpoint and then individual players I mean you did they're just one a place to attack on this team i mean which the warriors have thrived on for so long uh so yeah and that was fantastic and we can turn now to Kawhi as well i, I thought as we noted and it's uh getting worse after the clay news the tough it out crowd is uh taking a little bit of a hit during these finals and Kawhi's quotes uh, after the game he, he talked about that um he acknowledged it after the the game in, in one of the more expansive interviews i that he's ever done uh that the Raptors were not at the top of his destination list and you know Greg Popovich for example you know wasn't high on Kawhi's leadership and but you know he talked about how he, he even though he didn't necessarily want to be in Toronto he texted Kyle Lowry and said hey you know what I know you're upset that DeMar DeRozan got traded but let's uh, let's make this thing work out you know and this team has taken their cue from him in terms of their business like approach uh, all year uh and then here was his quote about just how that year was uh, that he missed last year a lot of people were doubting me they thought i was either faking an injury or i didn't want to play for a team that was disappointing to me that that was out of the media because i love the game of basketball and and to me like i i I always thought that the people who were like oh yeah he's just decided he's not gonna play for San Antonio again and yeah you know what he might be able to like go through some workouts and stuff but the problem was that the quad just didn't feel right uh, like after he would work out and he made the right decision to stay conservative about it to shut it down after those nine games and that he made the right decision to not push to play back-to-backs and to play more than the 60 or so games that he played this year and he was just unbelievable and now I mean you go back we thought at the time that shot that he hit in game seven against philly was like one of the greatest shots in nba history well think about how big that is now after they actually went on to win the championship like how like that's one of the greatest shots in nba history i mean that that was just such a a huge shot and then guarding Giannis in and changing that, that series in the next round and a deserved finals MVP award for him. And it's good to see finally that he was able to get back to the level of basketball that he was able to play two years ago and that he was able to overcome the injury that he had.
1: Yeah, and I mean, they don't give it as an award. I think that the I think that they should, but Kawhi would be the overall playoff MVP. And so think about that as a perspective from last year to, to this year to, to get that sort of an honor Honor for him, should it have existed, is, is fantastic, and it's and it's what it would be well deserved.
0: So obviously, we'll talk about Toronto's uh, off season coming up here in the next few days. They certainly did everything they could to, to keep the guy. That's uh, for darn sure. Let's turn now to to that clay injury. I just rewatched the play, and it reminded me a little bit of a similar play in Oracle Arena. But this will be a reminder to you of a guy coming in from the left wing, going up for a dunk, getting undercut a little bit, and tearing his ACL Brandon Rush
1: same basket
0: yeah same basket same thing coming in for the left wing uh but yeah I mean you knew it was not good and we've seen a lot of bad injuries when guys go in for a two-handed dunk off of one foot and kind of try to hang on the rim and you can really if you don't actually succeed in grabbing the rim with your two hands then you can really get your whole upper body thrown off kilter and, and that's what happened to Clay and this is not an implication that he shouldn't have been playing because he obviously was was very capable of performing but when people talk about the elevated risk from a hamstring this is one of the things that's the same leg that he had the hamstring in and when you land like that especially awkwardly the hamstring is important in that eccentric movement where you're trying to control your body weight as you land and he wasn't able to do that and that's what caused the knee to move in that really awkward way you know if he didn't have the hamstring injury maybe he hurts it nonetheless but I mean, just a, an awful run. I mean, I think the only other time I can recall feeling like this in terms of injuries is when Derek Rose tore his ACL. I mean, that's really the only other time where, especially when it's just in the playoffs, the ramifications for potential championship contender going forward. Uh, I mean, there, there's the quickest anyone ever comes back from an ACL these days is like eight months. And presumably if Clay is going to come back on a long-term deal, who knows what that is going to be at this point in time? What? his market might be you know he's not at the level of someone like kd already presumably the warriors are are going to take care of him but you know maybe it's not just the auto five-year deal now but presumably he'll be back on a long-term deal with golden state and they're not going to want to rush him back next season is he going to come back at the beginning of march and then play in the playoffs and they expect him to you know, go through another just insane run like this i mean he probably would be on a minute's limit all season and this you have to imagine now that there's just no way that the Warriors are a championship contender next year, even considering the fact that he might be back, but you know he's clearly not going to be the same guy at least right away after coming back. And, and Kevin Pelton has shown us that, like the the jump shot in particular, is something that takes longer to come back after the ACL. Uh, I mean, even if they get KD back as well, and that would be an incredibly expensive team to have two guys making a, a, a combined over 70 million dollars on the bench and playing hundreds of millions of dollars in luxury taxes next year i mean it's just you would imagine that it's not going to look like golden state are going to be a championship contender next year even if he comes back and that they might just have him sit out the the entire year in that respect and then dream on green i mean what does that mean for him and his potential extension talks this summer you know steph curry gonna be 32 by next year's playoffs like this is now a year of his prime maybe next year will be his last you know best player on a championship team type of uh, of level i mean you it really does feel like this is it this is the end right now of golden state being a championship level team maybe that I'll be wrong about that I hope that I am because they have been such a joy to watch but it really feels like this is the day that the music's out
1: an important point to emphasize here is that returning from both this issue and the Achilles rupture that Kevin Durant had and we obviously don't know if either much less both of those players will be on golden state next year but coming back is not being a hundred percent and that's why the champion aspirations for 1920 are likely unrealistic. The other part of it is this team is now incredibly susceptible in basically any iteration to any injury of their remaining good players. You know, like if Curry misses 10 to 15 games, then they might lose a bunch of those and the getting into the playoffs, getting a decent seed in the playoffs gets a lot more distant, you know, all those sorts of things. So it there it's a it's a more tenuous house of cards than before. And you know, maybe maybe if those players are on better timelines than anticipated or if depending on how the rest of the players are decentralized or or how they how they reallocate the other star caliber players maybe they can be in the mix in 2021 that's possible absolutely possible for me i mean it, it would be a somewhat different version but yeah i mean at least in this form that's a, a reasonable interpretation made and i think i don't want to get into all of the all of it now but what we just said should have massive ripple effects throughout the league from the Western Conference. Going all the way to the East?
0: Well, there's all this talk that Houston is going to really try to shake things up. Do they reevaluate that now? I think they probably should. And teams like Utah, Denver uh, have got to feel uh, emboldened. Portland, the Clippers, depending on, uh, on who they're able to get. Although, if it's not KD and it's not Kawhi, it's hard to see who's going to put them in the upper echelon of the West. So, man, I mean, this is just such an unbelievable bummer. And I mean, the Warriors are going into this new arena now and like, no Clay, no KD. I mean, it's just Draymond, Steph, and you know. Cousin said he is not averse to coming back, so maybe maybe he becomes a bigger priority now.
1: Well, he's going to get more touches. <laughs>
0: uh you know but there's they're still limited in what they can offer we'll, we'll talk more uh, about that later but it's just uh, and it's it really a shame too to have toronto's joy and stage and, and you know just for me i i'd like to feel like i can fully appreciate their win and uh the fact that this game was sullied by just yet another injury and now uh, that just the whole complexion of the league has changed and just in a negative way i mean there's clay thompson and kevin durant are two of the most exciting players in the nba and to just have them not playing that year already and didn't know that especially when this year up until now was maybe like the healthiest year among superstars that we'd ever seen and then to have this happen at the at the very end and Kerr said you know maybe if it's five five straight years of 100 game seasons or and we thought that this team might be injury proof if one of the superstars went down and they they proved to be a lot more resilient in that regard than maybe even anyone could have thought to continue to play toe-to-toe with this Raptors teams with all the injury that they had you know Looney is getting shot up uh every game to go out and play with uh, with that cartilage fracture in his ribs so i I mean incredible resilience by the warriors to be sure uh, and uh, something that you really respect but it's really end of an era at oracle and end of an era of the warriors dominating the nba playing this beautiful style with the incredible shooting that's revolutionized everything and not only you never know whether kd or clay are gonna be the same the odds are at their ages they are probably not going to it's certainly not on a consistent basis i'm sure they'll have flashes but every night in uh and especially for clay you know maybe as, as close as it's gotten to an iron man before this series uh it and people are saying you know maybe this is evidence that the nba season is too much i we, we've been saying that for a long time so I'm, I'm certainly on board with that but i'm uh then with this seismic summer coming up a, as well and now the east is looking like they're gonna probably have most of the power in the nba now the lakers you know they they could really benefit if they can get ad now i just i, I can't and begin to process all the implications of these last four days
1: well and another part of the west hierarchy is how does this affect Kawhi leonard's willingness to resign with the raptors i mean they want a championship they can bring this exact same team back without too much i mean it'd be you know expensive of course but they could they can bring this team back does he decide to stay for either one year as other potential destinations figure their stuff out longer term and you know that would be another superstar staying east and so then that would clear the path a little little bit for somebody else and it's it's fascinating Again, the it's terrible that these injuries happened to anybody much less two star players heading into unrestricted free agency but I mean there's barely even enough time to process this mentally much less the teams that have to develop battle plans and have to adjust everything based on based on what happened and so now you have two max players that their situation is totally different and the NBA is a is an ecosystem built on star talents joining forces that's been a part of the part of its history especially its modern history and the the board is completely different now than it was four days ago
0: all right hey, anything else to, to say about this night i i'm i think i'm pretty much emotionally spent right now to, to be honest
1: well i think i want to just end this on a little bit of a more positive note of just so how happy i am for the raptors for their fans for the organization to to get this series victory and and the final to win to win the championship and so you know, Marcus Ole, NBA champion, Kawhi Leonard again, NBA champion, Pascal Siakam, Kyle Lowry, like that. It, it's it's great that this group of guys gets to have champion on their resume. They are an un, they are a deserving NBA champion. I never believe in any asterisks, but this team was fantastic. It's not a oh, but four thing. They they're awesome, and they deserve all of the praise that they will get. And the history books will will look on them kindly.
0: All right. Well, the business of the NBA does roll on. So we've uh, got a lot more to get to. Now, i recording this uh, earlier in the day i want to talk about north carolina point guard kobe white talk that he may have a promise from above the bulls out of chicago which could be most likely phoenix you would say uh but certainly you'd say that both phoenix and chicago need a point guard in their long-term program we start off uh, with some of the measurables for white actually do you do you have that danny i forgot to I do. how tall he is i do so <laughs> kobe white 65 191
1: pounds with a listed six foot five wingspan and something that Schmidt noted in his video is that white has a eight one and a half standing reach which is about the same as jj reddick so if you want to kind of get an idea that he doesn't have a, he doesn't have a negative wingspan but he's exceedingly close so
0: Yeah, that is a very low standing reach, even for, for right. you know, I mean, that's like the standing reach of like a six-foot guy, your average six-foot guy would probably be it.
1: Right, and and that gets into something that I think is worth talking about at the outset here, which is that in the in the chatter that I've heard with Kobe White, I think people have talked a lot about his height, and his, to me, his functional height is a lot lower than his height, and that matters in a couple ways. So first of all, he has a low release point on his jump shot, so he's not using all of that, and he's not a great vertical athlete athlete either so yes he has the cachet of six foot five and he has the poofy hair so sometimes he looks well not all the time but some of the time and so that makes him kind of look taller than he is but to me he doesn't have the functional height to be at least at, at on the starting line to be really a multi-position guard you know to me at, yeah. if we're talking if we're talking starting guards he's a one and pro and you know maybe in certain circumstances he can slide but a lot of that stuff in terms of oh man he's six foot five he could be a combo guard because of his lack of length and vertical he's not really that type of guy and i think that that that's like an important thing to start with because that calibrates how you think about him from a a fit perspective a a situation perspective is that if you're thinking of him as a starter he's a straight one
0: yeah and maybe you could say well he won't be attacked as much because he just kind of looks taller and and they because of perception but yeah i think functionally you're absolutely correct there yeah i don't project him to be really any kind of a switch defender either you know probably a one position defender the stats on him 35 percent from three 80 percent from the foul line only played 28.5 minutes per game uh, on a very stacked north carolina team that, that had a lot of veterans but uh and 27 percent usage uh, as well 9.3 three-point attempts per 40 minutes the, the shooting uh is a a big big part of his appeal not a ton of assists 5.7 per 40 minutes uh and a lot of that comes in transition that in the half court it, not really a guy who's diming guys up Uh, And 56% true shooting. You might want that to be a little bit better for as good of a shooter as he's advertised to be and the situation that he was in, which I think, uh, unlike some of the other guys we've talked about, his situation is about as good as it could have been for for him to succeed. Roy Williams, famous for loving transition. Kobe White pushes it at at every opportunity. He is playing with an ultra green light. He was out out of North Carolina, set prep scoring records uh, in North Carolina, and they had pretty good spacing on the team as well luke may was a, a respected stretch four, a couple of really good shooters including cam johnson uh, and uh, had a decent role guy as well and I, I thought just the system and the way he was used was very conducive for him to have success and you know, on a lot of these plays where he got to the rim he didn't have a ton of opposition there as opposed to say duke which had absolutely zero spacing whatsoever for guys uh, like rj and zion uh, trying to create uh but that said i, I think there is a, a fair amount to like about white and his uh his skill level that he displayed it at times especially for someone who wasn't you know considered a potential one-in-done guy wasn't really on the radar wasn't you know at the hoop summit or, or usa basketball wasn't even the most hyped freshman on his own team that was nasir little i was very impressed with some of the flashes for him when it's good for him it looks really really good
1: yeah he was a hard guy for me to calibrate for exactly that reason because he has a lot of these tools that you really like I I, his handle is is impressive you know it's not you know Kyrie Irving or anything crazy like that but he has some some really interesting tools in the toolbox like some behind the backs and has a, a the way that he was able to split pick and rolls with a crossover was was really nice and his jump shot when he's in rhythm particularly in catch and shoot and that's a big thing I want to talk about with with Kobe White he can shoot it from NBA three range like he had some really ambitious ambitious shots there and the speed that he plays with and transition is is a huge part of his value as well. And then defensively, yeah, I mean the possession by possession stuff. I mean, especially when I watched full games of him, like you would just see him get lost and see him overhelp and all that kind of stuff. But the give a shit index with him defensively is high, and I would say that's a very positive thing, especially for a guy with his kind of wingspan length issues. And but he's fast, so you can see the outlines there, and that ties in with something that. I think clarified a lot for me, and you you mentioned it a little bit in the in the previous section, which is I deliberately don't read bio information when I'm going through the first step, and I'm kind of trying to piece together these disparate parts. You talked about you know the the highs being high and some of the lows being really low, and once I heard that he was the the high school scoring champion in the history of North Carolina basketball, I went oh okay, some of this makes sense because he's a guy who was basically I'm guessing was never asked to be a distributor. And so he's learning that in ACC basketball with, Talented surrounding guys, you know, like that. That was a very good North Carolina team, and some of it makes sense. Now, I don't know exactly how I feel about it, but at least it makes sense.
0: Yeah, and it does seem like as a point guard, he is evolving, uh, and we'll get to that. But let's talk about some of these strengths uh, first for him. I mean, the way he pushes the ball in transition is very, very impressive. He gets the ball, he goes, and yeah, he he can turn the ball over a lot. You know, he, he gets really ambitious with his handle in traffic, even in transition. At times, and as the transition ball handler, he turned it over on 24% of his possessions per synergy. But even then, averaged 0.94 points per possession as the ball handler pick and roll, which is above average, even with that number of turnovers. And 31% of his offense came in transition. And that 0.94 points per possession that doesn't count plays where he made the pass, and a lot of his assists, of course, came in transition. uh His straight line speed is very impressive. His straight line acceleration is very impressive. It it was a joy to watch his possessions compared to hunter and, and culver because you know white probably has overall the fastest possessions on average of any prospect that you're going to see well, given the and way not, that not only played.
1: not only fastest possessions but also better spacing around him so yeah. like, th- there weren't as many of those just kind of like cloggy possessions that we saw with some of the other guys
0: yeah so i, I think that's a, a big part he just loves to grab the ball and push it and so much of that is just mentality, frankly, and. especially the fact that he can work up a pretty good head of steam in transition and we didn't see a ton of his just pulling up in transition from three but given his deep range and his kind of ultra green light I think he could be effective there I think he could be effective running the lanes if someone else is pushing the ball up as well so that's transition for a point guard I mean that's you know I don't know if he's gonna revolutionize a team the way say De'Aaron Fox did this year for the the sacramento kings but that's like that's like free points and a lot of it comes from mentality the fact that he's come up in this system hopefully he will come to a team that has enough shooting and enough guys who can run the lanes and actually get some stops on occasion where he can push the ball and that that can be a big part of his ethos in the nba because that's just it's just not something even as we play at a much much faster pace now you know those plays where you see a guy just going faster than you normally would but even after a, a make, as I know you love, uh pretty much whenever you push the ball down floor as fast as you can dribble, good things happen. Like Draymond Green is another example of that, where just all right, I'm going to dribble down as fast as I can, even if there's not a clear opening, and you know we'll see if something develops. Maybe there's a miscommunication, maybe there isn't quite as much help at the rim, uh, uh, whatever it is. So that's that's a a big thing to like uh, about him, and something yeah. that I believe will translate pretty well, even if he's not just like an incredible finisher as far as pushing it down floor, you know where he's not going to come down and dunk on you if you're not in position. But it, it, I think it, that's something that every team should want to have in their point guard.
1: I'm happy you brought up Draymond Green because that's another instructive example here. Because you can have more than one player who who can do this. And and there is even a, a distinct possibility if White is not good enough as a half-court creator that he can still provide real value here, either as a starter or coming off the bench. Just when he gets the ball, he pushes it like hell. Like there, there, There's a real value to that. And I think especially if the players surrounding them and the coaching staff embrace races that and especially for a lot of these like limited half court teams I mean that's something I brought up with Sacramento before Sacramento still has a lot of room to grow as a half court offense but De'Aaron Fox helping give them that identity has allowed their offense to get out of the doldrums even as they're figuring that stuff out and so with White even as he's figuring out the other the other elements of, of the half court and maybe you could pair him with some there, there are many players who are larger than point guard size now who can run a pick and roll who can be the lead dog whatever however you're going to define it that is is a valuable skill to have and then the other part and I, I i'm going to emphasize this i mentioned it previously is that i think white can bring value here even if he ends up not being starting caliber and i actually think he can maybe bring more value as a transition dynamo off the bench because he might be playing fewer minutes and because there are you know there most of the players who can do that are try to you try to start them if they're good enough i mean that's the idea so i i like that part of white and so i think that really. Raises his floor in a meaningful way because he can help out a he can help out a team as a creator as an initiator even if the rest of it doesn't all the way work out.
0: Well, and you mentioned him becoming a backup. I mean, I think he looked starting caliber to me, but uh, obviously, there's uh, you never know uh, on a guy's path. uh, A lot of things that can change there, so it's it's not a a guarantee that he's going to get to that point. But the next thing I talk about is the jump shot for a freshman point guard. The jump shot is just really good, and that makes it just much easier for him to fit in on a lot of teams for example phoenix or chicago both have on ball guys at the two in the half court the zach levine and devin booker that they like to run a lot of stuff through and to have a guy like white who can very easily play off the ball in the half court is useful the spot up jumper was awesome 42 out of 88 on catch and shoots 72 percent e-field goal percentage on that that is really outstanding uh one point per possession Coming off of screens on thirty-three possessions, some of those were plays where he's driving to the basket, pulling up for two. You know that's not necessarily catch and shoots coming off screens. But North Carolina ran a lot of action for They even ran like the Golden State head tap play where they throw it into the post, and then the guy who entered the ball goes and screens away. Uh, You know they they did that a lot with Cam Johnson and Kobe White. Those guys with Cam Johnson, another really good shooter. Those guys would screen for each other a lot. So I think he's especially at this point in time quite capable of shooting off a screen, shooting on the move move uh off the ball and hit. you mentioned the low release but he definitely has a pretty compact delivery very quick release and comfortable shooting it from nba range uh, already and so uh, while there's a 35 percent three-point percentage when you get to the catch and shoot stuff that looks really really good it's the off the dribble where his shot selection
1: uh, yeah, could use a little work uh, well yeah that's that's <laughs> the disparity that i keyed yeah. on i keyed on it early and then i when i started doing my my secondary film analysis i went really in on it is this gigantic disparity that White has between his catch and shoot and pull up. So 1.3 points per possession 93rd percentile on catch and shoot 0.6 points per possession which is 27th percentile on pull ups. And remember this is, you know, there, there are some players who have a low pull up number because they don't shoot that many. It gets prone to variance, all that sort of stuff. No, he had, a, he had 116. He was he had a 25% field goal percentage on pull up shots.
0: Yeah, and and, and that that was not great. Thirty five percent on two-point jumpers mm-hmm. and those are 25 percent of his offense and so you know we mentioned the the true shooting which actually for a high usage freshman was really good kp noted this that that was actually the he had the second highest true shooting percentage for a guy who had as high a usage as he did uh as a freshman in college basketball zion of course was, was number one with uh, <laughs> uh, 70 true shooting, shooting on twenty nine 29 usage yeah, it's seven. pretty good uh but yeah I, I think you know the shot selection especially given what his background is uh, as more uh, of a pure score is a, a question mark.
1: Well, right. For and, sure. And, and I think that's the disparity. So I watched a lot of both of those to try to figure out what it was. And so when he could get that hop, kind of replicate a catch and shoot off the dribble, looked totally fine. You know, I didn't see, you know, mechanically his catch and shoot, like his jumper looks looks good. And so the closer he got to replicating that, it was fine. And it makes sense also that the closer you get, those are generally better looks. It's that he throws up a lot of terror. Terrible shot. Still, that whole alpha dog. There was Sam Vecini's kind of coach poll that he did earlier in the season. Two different coaches referred to him f- from his pre North Carolina stuff as a pig, meaning a guy who's a selfish shooter. And you could see some of those instincts still there with him. They said like, and, and all of them said like he's getting a lot better there. And it's you know what he was as in Team USA and what he was in high school, just because that was really the situation that presented itself. So he. I think that he'll it, mostly just shaving off the worst 10 to 20% of the shots that he takes will massively improve a lot of those elements. It won't fix everything, but it'll it'll help a lot. And the, and also just realizing that some of those worst 10 to 20%, they just shouldn't be shots in the first place. They should be passes to other guys or trying to get something else, not not settling for that, you know, pull-up jump shot with 20 on the clock or some of the some of the terrible terrible shots that he took or even like there was this one where he basically missed Luke May, like, it was a play, it was hilarious I saw it in Synergy and then Schmitz had it in his video and I'm like yeah it, was, it, was, it, it bothered me too, where he he missed the he missed May on a pick and pop and then just like threw up this like fading 30 footer, just sitting there going with 5 seconds left, and so like I think, I think a lot of that stuff will change with time and hearing people who saw him in high school say how much he improved makes me think that he will oh we forgot to mention his age, White he's 19 right now, he'll turn 20 in February of next year, so this will be his age 19 NBA season per basketball yep. reference so, like, I, I think a lot of that will get better. And so the big disparity, I think that will tone down with time. But I also think that a part of it that will ramp up is that he was very successful finishing at the rim, but a lot of that to me was ecosystem stuff that will get harder as he faces NBA talent, particularly in the defensive end.
0: Yeah, I I know you're trying to transition there. I want to say a little bit more about the jump shot first. Uh, you know, his handle is creative and, but evolving. You know, I think he's ambitious but I, I like the creativity and the ambition that that he shows with the the handle and I think he is at least able to create separation for those off-the-dribble jump shots and shoot them some from some pretty di- difficult angles. And, you know, he can make some of them. I mean, obviously, again, these are not amazing shots, but the threat of his jump shot off the dribble is enough where he can use that to set up and get to the rim in some isolation situations. Uh, and I thought the versatility of the jump shot was pretty good as far as not having to have his seat, feet perfectly set, being able to shoot on the move, get the shot off quickly before the defense recovers uh you know i think sometimes he could work on his shot prop a little bit more there'd be times when you know he'd give the ball up and then he'd be open and they'd throw it right back to him and he'd kind of catch it and be like oh i guess i'm open i'm gonna shoot this and he didn't really have his feet set uh so that, that's something that he could work on as well we can turn to the finishing now that 67 percent at the rim per hoop math is very solid even in the half court you know he's right around that range on synergy but uh, and i do think there are some things to like in the sense that he's He's not afraid of contact he'll go into guys uh, I think he can build out his frame to be pretty strong uh, ultimately you mentioned that he, he's that 6'4 190 pounds or so so you know I could see him getting to the point where that strength actually becomes an asset as a finisher but he's not going to turn the ball over and dunk it doesn't get amazing extension with one and he could really be especially due to his speed and the fact that his shooting presents some chances for blow buys to add that one-handed Nash Gary Payton layup where you just don't put your other hand on the ball and just speed to the basket and beat the big before he the help can get there left hand is okay you know I wouldn't characterize it as oh my god this guy's so ambidextrous but I don't think it's going to be a big weakness for him he's willing to take shots with his left hand getting to the basket uh but he's not really like some Skywalker you know he did had tried a couple dunks. one that got uh hilariously and emphatically blocked uh, against UCLA and so you know you're not going to expect him to get dunks in the half court. Really, uh, yeah, I'd say he his explosion is solid, but nothing spectacular at all. Uh, the short arms are definitely a little bit of a problem. He he does have some of an evasive finishing package. You, know, you see, I've seen him euro step around guys in the lane, but he's not able to cover that much ground. And again, can't get the extension. You know, there, there's one play where he tried to do a euro step around R.J. Barrett, who's not like some amazing shot blocker, and just got it. Th- him back in his face also really no floater game at all you know that's something that he's really gonna have to add especially again if he's getting these blow bys at the point of attack or attacking and pick and roll with the big back and the guy on his back that where he's not he's not gonna be able to just go right at nba bigs and challenge them so he's got to add that floater but he has you know good touch as a shooter so you would hope that that's something that he can add
1: yeah so we'll, we'll kind of have to keep an eye on that moving forward and, and it wouldn't it'll be interesting to see how he looks in summer league with some of that stuff because there'll be a, a kind of a jump in athleticism but there'll also be like a, a dr- uh, like the discipline can often be questionable there so can he take advantage of some of some of the aggressiveness i, I i'm interested to see how he looks there i wanted to, to oh, mention- oh,
0: it, it, one more thing there too sure. i would say uh does not have any kind of like bullshit foul drawing no capability you, you know the, he's his 5.2 free throw attempts per 40 that's that's only okay you know and he, he will again go into guys bodies when he's trying to get to the rim but nba pigs are much better at verticality obviously and so so i think he needs to come up with you know the the pump fakes and you know the feel of the guy in your hip throw throw something up and get a call like he he could certainly stand to add that to his game
1: so a couple things just to catch up on uh, as we kind of finish through his offense so i like that you described his handle as ambitious i i think there's a lot of functionality that needs to to build in there and especially when he when white gets pressured up i he he can sometimes get a little bit loose with it and and that was really where he ran into problems and not Every NBA guard does that, but it would be good to, to, to really flesh out that part of his skill set. And I think he can, it's just gonna take some time and some, some development. White as a passer is is interesting because, like, especially in the half court, to me, he didn't have a lot of like really wow reads that were either successful or unsuccessful. Like, sometimes I like I like with point guards, I like to watch their, their turnovers as well and just see okay, were they trying for something here and it just wasn't there? And he didn't really have much there that was inspiring. He's you know, can do the functional stuff and, and he he has some good finds of role guys but compared to Morant compared to even De'Aaron Fox to me he doesn't have like he, he's more of a make the he can make a decent read but he doesn't really pass guys open very often and yeah maybe that will be developed in time but generally speaking the guys that I'm a little bit uncertain about that when they come into the draft don't transform into something very different from that
0: yeah and I think you know even someone like RJ or Culver or he's not even on that level necessarily as a passer i think he's below there now you he'll as i mentioned in transition it he can do some nice things showed some ability out at the top to find guys for alley-oops off of set plays that that could look good at times uh, he looked much better again in transition and semi-transition situations where the floor is a little bit more space, the reads are a little bit easier. A lot of his passes to the roll man would come off a transition drag screens where the defense wasn't really prepared, the help wasn't there, and so and part of that too is white shooting ability. When he comes off that screen, he's able to force the big to step up, and then the the roll was there. You know, he, he, w- he would get some assists to guys doing pick and pops, but he doesn't really have creative angles available to him as a passer right you know a lot of guys on a pick and pop will throw that behind the back pass to the guy with with either hand you know he doesn't have that as part of his package so he has to kind of pick up his dribble and then maybe the guy's in the passing lane so he has to pass fake and it just takes him a while to get the ball back to that guy uh the other thing that you don't really see from him is once he breaks the paint he's probably going to shoot it you don't really see driving kick he would get a couple of lay downs the big but you know maybe there was like 10 of those all season when he, he's getting penetration and i didn't see you know i watched probably half of his assists on the season and i didn't see a single drive and kick play uh either out of pick and roll or uh even in transition and they had shooters too you know so so that should have been more available to him you know just really and that those are the type of reads you can teach guys to have especially when his finishing at the rim isn't going to be as effective he's going to need to add that i'm not going to say that he can't necessarily uh but no I mean passing is not a strength for him at this point in time I think he can get to be adequate as long as his gravity comes around as a score if he's really gonna be a huge scoring option if teams are respecting his three-pointer off the dribble if he's gonna come off screens uh, and then he can find guys quickly uh, and then in transition you you know he's good but yeah as a half-court passer you'd say below average uh, as a you know a college point guard prospect uh, at this type of a level, to be sure. Well, so yeah.
1: he, here's a good stat on that. So this is per synergy. White had 181 possessions in pick and roll. 18 of those ended with a pass to a spot up shooter. There you go. Yeah. And it, the ISO numbers are pretty similar to that. And you know, a lot of those ended up with jump shots. And uh, you know, only it was about between a fifth and a quarter of his of his pick and rolls ended up even being a pass out of it. So it was a lot of that was for for his shot. And that ties in. Schmidt had the stat that 75 percent of White's field goal attempts this season were jump shots which is pretty which is pretty remarkable and yeah so it, it- it's, as you said, I think the gravity as a scorer is going to be a big thing there. And also the disparity between half court and transition. Like, I think the transition stuff will work itself out pretty easily, as long as you put him on a team with competent talent, which is where the league is going. But the half court stuff, you know, that is a concern about, like, can he be the engine, the primary ball handler on a successful half court offense? I'm pretty skeptical at this point, but he's yeah. 19 and there's time to figure it out.
0: Well, and the good part of it is, you know, you could be your guy who pushes it in transition. And then if you want to play him next to someone else, he's capable of doing that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Or 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 will be, you would hope. Uh and Something that gives me a little bit more hope for him is that I do think his pick and roll craft he showed a, a, a little bit more there uh, just in, in terms of his ability to manipulate off the dribble. Uh, part of that is being able to create separation with the, the threat of that pull-up. Uh, he certainly needs the floor very well spaced on his pick and rolls. It, otherwise, he can just kind of dribble into trouble and we mentioned he's not the passer to get himself out of that necessarily. Uh, certainly, the, the passing looked better on some of the defense find play calls that they had where he knew what was going to be developing and then he had the ability to deliver the ball a, a little bit better uh he really likes to get screens way out on the floor and he loves to split the pick and roll and when he would try to do that he was very effective and then he can get downhill very quickly and there wouldn't be enough help at the college level uh his acceleration in a straight line is really good that's probably but athletically his ability to just accelerate is one one of the best things and so it, it change speed some and to the extent that he can improve that uh it gets even better that's part of why his splitting would be so good because he could kind of throw the ball in between the two guys uh, and then just get through it so quickly and get to the ball before anyone else could uh, and then attack downhill another thing i thought he was pretty good at at times that that looked like this is something that steph curry for example is awesome at is looking like he's gonna just start a move and then changing direction and by doing so just slamming the guy right into the screen that always works especially way out on the floor that works better than just okay i'm going in this direction and here comes the screen you're able to prepare for it you're able to try and get over what really works well is all right i just did a crossover in one direction you're starting to slide this way now i'm going to cross you over again and as you try to move your feet to stay with me you slam right into the screen and he was able to set guys up with in and outs with crossovers and just make sure that they got obliterated by the screen and then he would also have a head of steam also can wrong foot the big defender in pick and roll so i thought that part of it looked really good for him uh, the way he was able to set up screens and then again the way he's out on the floor the the nba game is going much more towards that uh, now and college bigs aren't gonna be able to trap him as much nba bigs are are gonna play a lot more of that down to two on two pick and roll coverage with the big back uh but part of the problem out of pick and roll you mentioned those off the dribble jumpers a lot of those are out of pick and roll 12 out of 52 on jumpers off the dribble out of pick and roll so that's just he's just got to get more efficient there and the way the quality of shooter he is as an off ball guy you'd hope that it gets there i think i mentioned his handle is creative but i think he just needs to tighten it up just a little bit more and if he can do that when you have a tighter handle when you know where the ball is going to be when it bounces back to your hand it's a lot easier to make those shots and be on balance and as you mentioned when he was able to kind of hop into it the same way you would off the ball and was on balance it looked a lot better for him shooting off the dribble
1: anything else offensively or uh, I don't think we need to spend much time on it, but talk yeah, about
0: yeah. Uh, one other thing is that a lot of his passes could be casual, and that's oh my kind god, of he, had the, he had this yeah. two
1: bounce outlet pass from half court to Nasir Little, where he like all he has to do is throw it right on line. It was it was a straight line pass, and it would have been an easy it would have been an easy dunk layup, whatever. And instead, it was so slow that he got fouled and had. I mean, Little made both free throws, but I, it just drove me completely insane. It was in the uh, yeah. Tech game,
0: and if he's gonna be trying to, or if he's being. Pressured up, he's got to be a little bit stronger with the ball, a little bit more forceful at times. You know, he can kind of get knocked backwards and try to throw the pass. It'll get deflected by the guy who's on ball who has his hands up. Th- those types of plays it don't look that good. um Yeah, let's turn to the defense now.
1: So the praise I want to give White as a defender is I-, I liked his intention and I liked his activity. And so what I mean by that is he's moving his feet, he's kind of staying engaged, he's not deactivating as much. Like there were even plays where he got like screened out of it and then gets back into the play. And that's important for a guy who's still kind of like, I I can imagine he's learning how to play defense. I mean, a lot of these freshmen in college are, that's just the way the the game is at this point. And he makes a lot of mistakes. He gambles, he overhelps, but like his offensive game, I think it puts a lot on the coaching staff that he ends up on and on White himself, that if he can put in the physical, the time to work on his skill and the time to work on, especially the mental side of the game, getting his recognition better understanding what's coming so instead of scrambling back he can be in the right position in the first place but i like the the building blocks there i, I like them more than i expect
0: yeah i still think he's going to be below average but i i agree with you that his effort was good and i think the fact again the situation this helped him in transition with how much he was able to push and i think also with his defensive effort that he's only playing 28 minutes a game whereas a lot of these guys you know, are playing 37 minutes a game <laughs> so i agree with you. you there weren't the plays where you're just like oh man that is just pathetic i mean you know john Morant would like try on defense five times a game and obviously at the level that he was at he could get away with that and he, and he was expected to do every single thing offensively so you didn't see these plays where you're just like oh man like that's like you know you just don't have a heartbeat if you're not trying on, on these plays i wouldn't say that he is at all a rangy defender the lack of the wingspan hurts you know not a playmaker defensively 38 steals and 11 blocks uh, all season didn't see him coming over at four for great help plays uh you know i thought at least he try. he would always try to get his hands in the passing lanes a lot of times and just you know his arms weren't long enough to actually uh get his hands on it you know didn't you don't see him like getting a lot of strips on the ball or anything like that so uh given the lack of wingspan and just the lack of physical tools and great anticipation hard to see him being a plus and we mentioned earlier how he's really going to be a one position defender most of the time you know it may even need to be hidden i didn't think uh, also he's not you know just some awesome guy getting over screens i did think he showed the ability to move his feet reasonably well get in front of guys take a, a charge on occasion so i don't think he's gonna be just like a terrible mark but also guys were able to get pretty good looks on, on him in isolation for jumpers be like the there's this guy likes who's on miami who's i don't know how tall he is but he looked like he was like five seven and he was a, late in the game he was able to just pull up over white in iso just due to the the short wingspan um the technique and ISO could be a little bit better too. He does kind of open up his stance, uh, uh, allow guys to, to get by him at times. But I think like his feet are quick enough that you're not going to be like, oh man, this guy is just you know he's not Trey Young level. But you know, I think he's going to be if if everything works out and he reaches the ceiling, he'll be average defensively. But you know, point guards aren't out there for their defense a lot of time.
1: I'm I'm looking through my notes to see. I, I don't think I really have anything else that's yeah. that's super important here. Well, a, one thing a, one, as a
0: rebounder, I thought he was fine.
1: He was fine. Oh, one other thing I'll note. White did something that a lot of guards do. I think of Clay Thompson, but it's a lot of them, where in the Va game, he he had a huge performance, 27 points, 9 to 16, 5-11 from three. But he did something that so many guards do, which is got hot on good shots and then use that confidence to take bad shots. And coaches yeah. will just coaches will have to just punish that out of him or something you know get that get that part of it out of his game because he is not so good at those bad shots to to justify it like there are certain guys where you know you you take that as part of the equation but with him i don't i don't think white's ever gonna quite get to that level so focusing more on the the off-ball stuff especially in the half court i think could could really help him but it, you know sometimes the guy's instincts he, he sometimes they can win that fight sometimes they lose that fight
0: so in the overall package here he definitely has some weaknesses the defense the passing the finishing i think is is only okay but i don't think any of those weaknesses are like awful you know that are just going to be like major major problems for him you know i think like they can be good enough but you know are not necessarily going to be strengths so then you get to the the main question of does the ball go in for him in particular is the ball going to go in for him as a jump shooter off the dribble it did not this year but he looks good getting to that and so if he improves the shot selection or there's more space or he just gets better at, at making those shots if he's going to be able to bang nba threes off the dribble all of a sudden it looks really good for him and the transition is good i think that's going to translate pretty well the spot up shooting the off-screen stuff you i think he has a pretty high floor due to that shooting ability i mean maybe there's a concern that you know the cautionary tale for this archetype of player is like malik monk but white with the transition push i think has enough and he's not as bad defensively as monk either and has a little bit more size though not much not the athlete that monk is getting to the rim although monk hasn't really been able to translate that in the league yet but i think the transition push a little bit more pick and roll ability some nascent passing ability you know that puts him out of that potential bust category To me, he's not just a pure score type i think he can play on the ball a little bit more so obviously the jump shot you know if he's gonna shoot it 35 on off the dribble threes with these difficult attempts and it can get to make his long twos a little bit better and add a floater game you know that's one way that he could end up being really really successful uh and then uh, how much his passing vision it improves it as well i, I think is a, another one that's really interesting is there anything else that just stuck out to you as far as just his overall fit in the modern game or key questions for him as he evolves here
1: to me the key question is what whether he can reliably create for himself and others on ball because the other stuff i, I feel pretty good about and that, i agree with you that that raises his floor and to, to me if he can't do that then he's Probably a bench guard because I don't think he's so good off ball that you can on most teams you can afford to just like start him. You know, but he's not, you know, a great defender, you know, he's he's all right in those, unless his shot just is is unstoppable. But bench guards who can create and do all these things are, are still very positive in the league. That can still be a you know a twenty plus minute a game guy. And so yeah, I, I'm I, I think I'm maybe a little lower on him than you, but acknowledge the upside. And yeah. and I appreciate I've talked about this so much on this and the NBA cast about getting four. 48 good minutes at at the point guard position. And that's, I think, where where White is really valuable. Yes, it's not the same as the wings where there's a real scarcity, but getting even to that baseline equality, which I think is closer to his floor, is still really valuable. And so I can imagine a team being happy with drafting him, even if he doesn't end up getting super close to his ceiling.
0: So here's the big question to me is, how does he compare to Garland? And oh,
1: I like Garland meaningfully better.
0: What's the reason for that? Because I, I kind of struggled to find why that is. is it is it yeah the, the point
1: guard it, skill set i i think when no, i but
0: but like i i mean garland has, i mean we saw him in a limited amount of time but like you know he averaged like 2.5 is a game
1: yeah but just i he had more value-added passes in those four four games than i really saw from white and also i mean with garland you could some of the stuff that i heard about what he you know in high school and all that and and the the that white just doesn't have the experience there i, I just i i don't know maybe it's a gut thing for me and i think you might be right that the more margin between those two guys is closer i just i just like garland better i don't know maybe maybe it's not fair but that's just how I, I saw more i saw more in the small samples the small sample than i did with white
0: yeah and white adds the transition game that you know you don't see that like i'm gonna push the ball down your throat type of mentality from darius garland as much the shooting the finishing you know i i don't see like a huge difference between white and garland as finishers i mean now i think what's ultimately going to create the the separation between those guys i think garland might have a little bit more defensive tools but garland doesn't have some great wingspan or anything either i think it's like six five span right so it's like a couple inches more than why i don't know how meaningful that is it's just you know who's going to shoot the ball better in the nba and i don't know that we have the information to determine that I, I think you know garland certainly had the better reputation coming out of high school uh, and you know put up better stats in aau i think you might say that garland's a little bit better as an iso guy
1: i i would it's i would little, uh, I, fr- I forgot bit, to mention yeah. the other big difference for me is that i have a lot more confidence in garland as a as a pull-up shooter i mean he he has he has that in his wheelhouse right now and white could get there but garland is closer
0: yeah but with garland he's coming off the injury white played an entire year you've you've maybe got a little bit more certainty of what he is just from the the fact that he's played this entire year and garland didn't you know i mean who knows maybe garland would have played all year and he shot 31 percent from three or something yeah so i still haven't decided who i like more but it's pretty close to me i don't see why Garland would clearly be better at this point in time. And maybe, maybe it's just that isolation creation and maybe like a little bit more bounce. And it also, you know, Garland is supposed to be like this awesome worker and doesn't have as many like terrible decisions as White, not going to over dribble as much, but and didn't have just that terrible pull up shooting. But, uh, you know, again, those were pretty difficult shots for White. So I could easily see White being better. I could easily see Garland being better. It's not too obvious to me. Um, anything else on him no i I, I, I guess we could say this too you know where does rj or white
1: (sighs) i think they're in the same tier i'll say i'll say that right now so that the the margin between them is is close (sighs) i mean i think i think rj has more bust potential because the idea that like we i mean the guys that we compared him to and if it if it doesn't work with him then he just provides a lot less value whereas white especially because he can shoot off ball there's a lot of ways to do that but it's so weird because rj is the guy with wing size but i like him better as a passer and i like in in many ways yeah i like him better as a like at this stage in their game i like him better as a pick and roll creator but it's a lot easier to see white improving because of the jump shot you know like that they're the respected and he's a has that straight line speed and, and so his teams kind of if teams have to adjust to him then that's really interesting Ugh.
0: <sighs> yeah I, I think white to me is the higher upside just because i don't believe in much of a ceiling for rj's jumper yeah like I, f- I, think, I feel like I i'm white walking could... i feel like
1: i'm walking myself into like what maybe maybe rj has the higher like 100 percent ceiling but but white has the higher like 85 percent ceiling yeah. and if you have the higher 85 percent ceiling and you have the higher floor then i should probably have him above him. I, that's just generally the way that works
0: yeah and i'm not sure that he has the higher floor necessarily i mean if he if he doesn't make the jump shot he could end up really just sucking uh but i mean that's uh, true and, of both of them <laughs> and, and you know as wings are just more valuable overall so yeah I, you know i think i probably would go with white i mean obviously i'm i'm low on rj and and white you know there's there's something about him where he's, he has this kind of wild quality to his game where You're like oh maybe this just never tightens up and you know he's out of the league um or maybe he's just is not able to make j- jump shot you know maybe he's just all he's able to do is just shoot some spot of jumpers and and maybe push the ball in transition once in a while he's a defensive liability and you know so so maybe maybe that's a possibility for him i'm not incredibly high on him but any point guard who has shown the flashes of shot making that he has you have to respect what that can be as far as You know, if you can be a guy who can bang threes uh, off the pick and roll and pass okay, and then you can play off the ball uh, as well, like that's be a pretty valuable offensive player. So I I have a lot of respect for just what shooting can do uh, in today's game. Something I also have a lot of respect for is great Wi Fi. We depend on that for sure. I'm depending on it right now to record this podcast. In fact, when we do the NBA cast, we got to have awesome Wi Fi as well. We're uploading, we're downloading, and there's just nothing worse to the getting into a room in your house you you settle in maybe you bring your laptop with you you want to work somewhere else and then you try and watch a video or you try and turn on some streaming on your tv and it's just all laggy and then you don't know whether like oh is my main internet down is the wi-fi connection just not good or there is someone else streaming something in another room so just get rid of those concerns and get euro the home wi-fi system that brings you a fast reliable connection in every room of your house the second generation euro and the Eero Beacon allow you to build a Wi-Fi system that's perfectly tailored to your home. And when you add their Eero Plus service, you can get total network protection with the ability to block malicious and unwanted content across your entire network, which is awesome. If you have kids, it checks the sites you visit against a database of millions of known threats, and it prevents you from accidentally visiting malicious sites. And it doesn't slow anything down either. It's not running on your computer to where it's using a bunch of these system resources. And violent, illegal, or adult content gets flagged so you can choose what your kids can and cannot visit right from the Eero app. And you can get rid of annoying ads and pop-ups on all your devices, improving load times for ad-heavy sites so you can browse and stream faster than ever before. And you can get lightning-fast internet with all their different nodes that talk to each other around the house. So never think about Wi-Fi again. Get $100 off the Eero base unit and two beacons package, plus a year of their Eero Plus service. Visit Eero.com slash It says E-E-R Dot com slash cap space and enter the code cap space at checkout so slash cap space url and then the cap space code as well you're getting double the amount of cap space in this code that's eero eero.com slash cap space and don't forget that cap space code to let them know that you came from us all right the phoenix suns possessing the number six overall pick in the nba draft where did they sit cap wise as we enter the offseason
1: devin booker is about to start his max extension 25% max extension that kicks in. So that changes, you know, he would have had a much lower cap hold had the Suns waited. In, and instead in combination with Warren and Ayton and Josh Jackson, all of those guys, recent draft picks, but they have lucrative contracts, Warren on his new one. And so you could think about the Suns from two different perspectives. So one is if they let Kelly Oubre go, basically function as a cap space team, they would have around 20 million, 20, 21 million in space as of now. Then if instead, if they keep Kelly Oubre's hold on the books, you're getting really close to the margin. I have them at 12 million. Getting close to the margin where it's better off to stay over the cap, re-sign Ubre, use the full mid-level, because then you also open up the biannual exception. And then you theoretically could get, you could use bird rights to retain some of the other guys. You wouldn't have to renounce all their holds and that could be useful. So that is kind of a, a key choice that the Suns have to make. And fortunately for them, is it a choice that they can make later in the process depending on. On contact
0: yeah we'll see what is uh, available to them and, and also who they're going to draft I mean that that is going to be a massive component of this they've got Tyler Johnson who uh, was a big part of, of what they did when he played they looked much better but uh, he has been quite injury prone uh, pretty decent fit though as a spot-up shooter and defender next to, to Devin Booker but clearly in the market for a longer term point guard solution but you really next to Devin Booker you really got to have someone who can shoot and um, so do they want to get into the unrestricted point guard market where you know you're looking at i get you know guys who would fit would be like a darren collison uh, although collison's not the spot quality of spot-up shooter i think you would want george hill ricky rubio doesn't really seem a, like a fit due to his lack of shooting i think patrick beverly actually could be a pretty good fit for them we'll see what kind of offers beverly is going to have he's he's one of these guys who he's not an amazing player but he also fits so many places that he's probably going to have a lot of offers and then there's also the potential of maybe going into the restricted free agent market uh they've long been linked to terry rozier who also i think would be a pretty decent fit next to booker uh, the 25 year old uh, rozier is, is restricted much depends there upon what happens with Kyrie irving if he goes back you would imagine that rozier is someone who could be poached and, and you mentioned the issue with upray you know if they move on from his 9.6 million dollar capital they'd probably go Got enough scratch to make an offer for Rozier that the Celtics aren't going to want to match. They might even be able to do that, even if Irving leaves. You know, maybe the Celtics don't match something that's uh, above fifteen million a year for Rosier. I believe that Rozier isn't that good. And he's only really, you know, he, he hasn't had he had one decent year as a backup and then a pretty good playoff run. But then, you know, I I don't believe that because he was unhappy is the reason he played badly last year. I thought he played badly last year because he wasn't that good and he, and he didn't make shots. So D'Angelo Russell is another possibility there although the Suns have not really been linked to him in again those desperate oh my god who's the market for him let's write about it articles the Suns haven't really been mentioned in that and booker and russell are really good friends but it, you have a lot of defensive problems if you pair those guys together so no what direction do you see them going here could you, they, they just draft white uh because that, that's probably who's gonna uh, white will almost certainly be there for them at six well there's, there's it,
1: also door number three which yeah. is trading for a veteran and and right, yeah. That's Gambadoros, tamp that down. But then there's the, the James John the James Jones quotes from earlier about like basically kind of like we have enough young guys on the team. That's sort of an idea. Yeah, I,
0: which I don't agree with. Oh, some,
1: I, I don't so agree sure. with it at all, especially considering the the next strong Suns team is going to be built around these young guys who are going to be better two to three years from now than they are right now. Like Aiton is an example of that. I would say. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, they,
0: they've got enough young guys, but I don't know if they have enough good young guys.
1: Exactly. And this, so they could use that. So yeah, I would, you know, so you go best player available to me for them in the draft, but it just so happens I think a lot of the guys that are going to be on the board for best player available are going to be point guards, so that could work out reasonably well. I at, at this moment I like Garland better than White. Yeah, and I don't think
0: Garland's going to be there though.
1: I'm not sure. Well, we'll see. So like basically we assume RJ Barrett will be gone, and then after that it gets it gets a little bit dicey, and and you know Garland's coming off injury, but if Kobe White's there, I think that's a a pretty good consolation prize at bare minimum, and and it's and they're not necessarily mutually exclusive. Either, especially when, when we're accounting for James Jones is going to be more aggressive, focusing on win now. I'm guessing than either of us would be because I mean I still think the Suns are a long way away, and so when you're that far, probably not a good idea to push immediately. So they could throw resources there. Another just challenging question for the Suns team is where does their where does the rotation go like two through four? And and Mikhail Bridges is an interesting question there. Like okay, if he's do you think he's going to be starting quality? Wh- what is his role as a starting quality player? Warren Josh. Jack, Jackson, like they have Ubre, they have a lot of guys, but they have a lot of guys that are kind of in that in that nether world where they probably probably shouldn't start, but co- they're probably going to make too much to to come off the bench, and so sorting that all out is going to be really complicated. And what I mean by that also is when you have a lot of players of that ilk, if you can get a starting caliber three or four, if if that's a way they can use their money, I don't think it is, but if it is, they should consider that too.
0: Oh, certainly, and especially if they draft more. Grand, not you know, is Tyler Johnson and Kobe white is that good enough for the scene to me it is because there's still nothing that they do this offseason is going to get them into playoff contention next year, unless just some seismic changes happen in the West. And while the top of the West looks like it could be weaker, the fight for the eighth seed is going to be probably just as tooth and nail as it's ever been. You would think, I mean, you've got teams like Dallas is looking to take a big step forward this year. The Clippers, they're they're not going anywhere necessarily. The Spurs will, will probably be right in there. Again, also you expect the Lakers to be better. You expect the Wolves. To be better so i don't think playoff contention is realistic for them now of course they uh have not seen things the same way i have uh, including last season as far as playoff contention being realistic uh although you know the, the Ariza signing wasn't that terrible because they got Kelly Oubre out of it although that's that's hindsight it's just difficult to say that they could have predicted they would have gotten someone like Oubre but yeah they're really in an interesting position because they have all these wings which is a good thing you want to have wings in the modern nba but none of them have proven to be really reliable shooters yet warren will see whether you know, i mean he basically didn't play the last two and a half months of the season with that bone bruise in, in his ankle he
1: basically and Darius Garland did he played he shot well for the period of time and then he was out when he could yeah. have regressed to the mean
0: well and it, I mean it's hard to say that I mean he shot so much better yeah that you think there's got to be some reality to the improvement but hard to say that oh for sure we can rely on him as a shooter I mean and they've kind of got all these guys like none of them is really big enough to really be a combo forward uh, defensively you know they've tried Josh Jackson Josh Jackson I think you know if, if I were them I would he would kind of be out of my plans my approach would be hey we're not gifting you any minutes anymore if you come in and earn some minutes that's great but we're not relying on you being a, a quality contributor this year i just don't think he he's proven that he can do that
1: well and speaking of that
0: yeah he could be a option decline
1: right yeah candidate. so josh jackson one of the early players of the of this new rookie scale where the because in the new cba they really ramped it up his fourth year team option is 8.9 million dollars <laughs>
0: Yeah, he's going to make $7 million this year, and he's clearly not worth that in terms of his contribution. He's also a little older than your typical one-and-done when he now, was drafted. Now, he
1: could, he could end up being an example of—and and I'm really happy that the, the, the owners and players did this—that the option decision is— After the season starts, so maybe he actually, you know, needs to prove it for the first two weeks of the year. And I absolutely would not make a decision ahead of time unless I had to. Well,
0: and and recall too that he's, you know, it was not this management group that selected him. And we've already seen with Marquise Chris and Dragon Bender that they this group has been willing to move on from high draft picks that that weren't working out. But yeah, I mean, I think Jackson, you know, he's got some athleticism. Uh, There have been some disturbing attitude questions. uh, about him as well so it's not like oh man you know he's really working hard at it we know he's going to get better he's, he's improved his jump shot to be sure but uh you know still the numbers are not great his mentality his shot selection is not amazing there either well and so um, the other reason yeah. i
1: wanted to bring that up is because another decision jones has to make is about the timing of when they want to spend money because the Suns, if they basically keep the powder dry this year depending on what happens with josh jackson so i'll say if they pick up at jackson's option there's somewhere in the like 35 to $40 million range, but that doesn't count their draft pick and their draft pick is going to eat into that pretty significantly. So, you know, they're they're in that kind of that range where you could get them, you could sign somebody to a max contractor near that and you could clear some space if you really had to. But if they've re-signed Kelly Oubre, if they give a free agent a multi-year contract, those, that $30 million or so ends up going really, really quick. So they can play this either direction, but I think they kind of have to make that decision this year about 2020.
0: Yeah, the, that's a, an interesting question. And you'll recall too they could add a lot more space had they not extended booker he had only a 9.9 million dollar cap hold and so they wasted 18 million dollars of space by extending him now they did get a fifth year on that so and i think the way booker played last year he clearly would have had max offers uh, available part of the the reason we criticized that decision was we didn't know how he was going to play and i think he exceeded expectations uh, with his play last year in particular his playmaking and just being able to drive efficient offense for the team which he hadn't been able to do previously but still i mean i think if they had offered him you know they could have gone with them uh they could have offered him the five-year deal at this point in time and he probably would have taken it at the start of free agency you would think you know i don't think the chances of him signing like a two plus one elsewhere would have would have been uh realistic uh because teams would have known that, that that he was gonna get matched and i don't think in any of the cap space teams are interested in doing a max offer to a restricted free agent like those all the cap space teams other than the Hawks are trying to get guys who are going to contribute next year and so you can't tie up all that space under strict bridge. but but anyway that's no water under the bridge but it, since we're now reaching the time where the negative consequences of that decision show up it, it was worth noting
1: yeah because they could have they could have done a lot with that 20 million yeah i mean that would so, in, in this yeah. market and and they could have with booker you can agree to something and then wait to have it signed you know the, all those sorts of things and booker you would have that, that low cap hold would have been a big benefit some of the other decisions that the suns yeah. have to make race Balding team option for next year at the minimum we'll see what happens there Oubre we talked about Rashawn Holmes like his former teammate TJ McConnell he is an unrestricted free agent with a minimum cap hold and full bird rights so if the Suns want him back it's pretty easy to do that if yeah. they
0: and, and they they moved not heaven and earth but uh you know a small should we know, should
1: we just make Jared Dudley's nickname heaven and earth now
0: uh but yeah they, they gave up uh that second rounder to get him uh in addition to, to the Dudley Jarrell Arthur trade uh so yeah I think they're gonna want to bring him back and, and he showed some signs you know again he between he and Aiton it's very tough to to be positive defensively you know I think having a defensive center who could compete with Holmes to be good you know I don't see I see Holmes kind of getting in the three to four million dollar a year range
1: I, I will note that Holmes is exactly the type of player that I would freak out about him getting overpaid because the opportunity cost for the Suns even if they're a cap space team is relatively low you know the idea of yeah. oh like we can sign him it's it's kind of free money we talked about this with rudy gay in the in the the sun section but the difference is rudy gay we kind of know what he is as a player and there's Spurs
0: section you mean yeah in the spurs section
1: but but holmes as a center where their the replacement value is a lot higher and his uncertain quality is very different so like i could see them giving him too many years i could see it being a year's issue rather than a dollar's issue
0: yeah and in fairness though i don't see any great defensive centers any great defensive backup centers on the market, either you know, I mean, they're not going to bring in like epe yudo or jokim Noah, probably. You know, that, that just doesn't make sense for guys at, at, at where where the Suns are at. So, I mean, you would imagine that the plan is to bring back homes, you know, and, and they can they can pay him Ubre as a restricted free agent. You know, I, I, I kind of see him right around the same range. He put up some pretty good stats, and then and then he succumbed to uh, that hand injury the last month or so of the season. But in his time in Phoenix, he shot it better than he. He had you mentioned that 9.6 million dollar cap hold, but they can if they want to pay him more than that to start they can and just wait to sign their free agent and then sign him to that deal but to keep him out of restricted free agency Danny what kind of an offer would you be willing to make to Oubre at, at this point who you know certainly has some flaws in his game and, and is a little bit too light in the shorts to really be a combo forward and, and you wonder about his shooting but he's a good transition player he can get to the rim got that that 7-2 wingspan so so he certainly has some aspects to light about him and he could get better but what would your offer to him or i shouldn't say your first offer but your final offer to him at the very opening of free agency where it's like okay if he doesn't take this we're just gonna let him go into restricted free agency and we'll play kind of the waiting game
1: it would definitely for me be lower than i think a lot of other people just because i think the most likely outcome is that uber is not a starting caliber player and even though forwards are important bench forwards are a lot less important
0: (sighs) yeah he actually didn't shoot at them as as yeah much better in phoenix he had he had a and then it eventually
1: it, it toned down yeah um i i would be thinking more and this is obviously i think this is slower than he would accept i would be thinking more in the like seven to seven to nine million dollar a year range you know I'd, I'd be willing to go at that price i'd be willing to go four years so let's say let's say four years 32 million so that'd be eight million a year and i don't i do not think he would accept that and i am willing to play hardball on the market and if he gets overpaid so be it you can use that money another way
0: yeah the big difference for Ubre in phoenix was increasing his usage all the way up to 25 percent and doing it at a, at a league average true shooting percentage but it, like all these these guys like all right the, you know these guys can score okay they got some versatility but they don't really have the heft to really defend you know the bigger forwards the stronger forwards and you know none of them are really like crazy knockdown type of shooters either and so you hope maybe some of them have evolved into that uh and Ubre, i think is is a talented player but yeah you would want to bring him back on a contract where you feel like all right if this guy evolves will be we'll have a value contract on our hands you know and i think that's you know maybe it gets up into the 10 million dollar a year range i think you know justice winslow out of that draft class is an interesting comparison with Ubre. obviously a much better defender improved his shooting a lot last year better playmaker uh, than Ubre. you know not necessarily as volatile either but Ubre has more athleticism so you know that might be a comparison that comes into mind you know i think he's he'd be a little bit lower in the hierarchy for me than Winslow slow and winslow you know he's making 13 million a year so yeah i mean i, mean, I could see going as much as 10 million it's and you know a similar deal to the deal that warren got and those guys are in some way similar players so i i don't know it's like you don't want to let the asset go for nothing if i had to say all right is kelly Oubre gonna be a really good you know is he gonna be a starting quality small forward on a good team i'd probably say the answer to that is more likely than not that he doesn't reach that level but he's got some upside and you know maybe you let things just play out in the market and see and and you can get to a deal that you feel better about which is in the you know the eight or nine million range instead of the 12 or 13 million range but uh, Ubre doesn't strike me as a guy who's going to have a market in restricted free agency you know like what team is coming with an offer sheet for him I, i don't see it happen
1: i don't particularly either but there will be teams with money when the music stops so it's always possibility
0: what if they wanted to go the unrestricted ma- mart or uh, the unrestricted route on the free agent market? We mentioned some of the point guard options. If they don't go there, they draft a the point guard. They stay with Tyler Johnson. They feel okay with that. Who would you be looking at? You know, really probably power forward and maybe backup center. But you know, a good guy who's you know can shoot the ball and defend at the power forward position, I think, could be really helpful for this team.
1: Yeah, that could help ease the pressure on on Aiton defensively. I think that could really help them. <laughs> Al yeah Did, that'd, they, that'd, that'd be that'd interesting be they might look at I was thinking I, I'm not sure James Jones would be interested I, but Miritich? I don't think
0: Marcus Morris will be back uh, <laughs> yeah I'm yeah got- M- Miritich is is a thought uh you would get if they hold on to Ubre's cap hold his market I think is gonna be above where they'll be in terms of cap space it's only about 10 million dollars in cap space if they move on from Ubre, or maybe Miritich's market doesn't materialize or they sign Ubre to an 8 million dollar a year deal and then you, you You've got $12, 13 million to go after Miritich with.
1: I just had a panic attack that they signed Julius Randall.
0: Yeah, that wouldn't really work out. His his fit with Aiton would oh, be, be uh, terrible, poor to quite poor. What, what about a uh, Malcolm Brogdon? Could be another guy that they look at here with this group. I, his fit next to Booker, I think, would be a, a very interesting one. And I do. Th- it's kind of funny because we talk about oh well, who is who is going to sign their restricted free agent Ubre? And the Suns to me seem like probably the most well-positioned team as the team that's not necessarily going to compete next year to make a restricted free agent offer sheet. Maybe the the bulls would be the other one. I would say, uh, you know, neither of those teams have max space, but could get to the 20 million or so. So like those might be the two teams you'd look at as potential restricted free agent offer sheets. And you might even see those teams make multiple restricted free agent offer sheets.
1: Yeah, that's entirely possible.
0: I think, uh, this could be an interesting place for Trey Lyles to end up, especially if, if he's, uh, you know, a, a small restricted free agent offer sheet to him, uh, as someone they just need someone who can shoot the ball dragon bender is a free agent i have to imagine he's probably not going to go back the most they could pay him is six million he's not going to get an offer like that anywhere else but he is unrestricted so so he could definitely leave uh they've also got troy daniels as a free agent you know no indication they really want to bring him back jamal crawford as well as a vet you know those aren't guys who are going to be huge priorities uh jim Frenette also uh made one hundred seventy thousand 000 bucks for them last year don't think they'll be looking to bring him back and for t- probably will have better offers in china if they want to go the vet, Route, someone along the lines of Jamichael green it could be someone that, that they might want to bring in again someone who's just got a little bit more heft i think this could although i don't think he's a great fit personality wise uh this could maybe be a stanley johnson reclamation project destination
1: yeah that'd be interesting and and the suns also i, I don't have any particular fits here but they could also be a team to use their cap space On a player who is overpaid but still useful, that that type of a thing, they could also be an avenue there, especially if they don't really like the options with their cap space.
0: Are you ready to get some news here? Yeah, let's do it. Let's start with news from Woj in uh, his piece about KD saying that KD will miss all of next season that would not necessarily line up with some of the better timelines that guys have had coming back from Achilles, Kobe, Wes Matthews and also if he is going to miss all of next season makes it to me much less likely that he would return to the Warriors because a part of the reason to me to go back to the Warriors is if you come back there's still a pretty good team without you so you're in playoff position and you could have a playoff run then if you're going to sit out then unless he really wants to be there for that long or if that fifth year really matters him after the Achilles you know, there's not as much reason to stay there uh, um so we'll see maybe they'll walk that back you know there hasn't been a specific announcement from him and you know we've seen guys do it in eight, well, or, eight or nine months and maybe <laughs> he'll come back and he'll be feeling that way but I, I have I, I have an yeah.
1: instinct on this
0: yeah that he's gonna miss the whole season
1: no oh. that Kevin Durant has recently dealt with a circumstance where an entity reporting too aggressively <laughs> on the optimistic side might have shifted expectations unfairly in a different way so now that he he has control over that process he might be shifting expectations the other way
0: yeah that's uh, that's quite possible though how much KD and his team were involved on how that was reported it remains unclear there was more reporting and discussion yesterday about KD he did in fact I mean I guess we didn't talk about this he did in fact have the surgery yesterday he wanted to be the one to report it had it at the hospital for special surgery in New York it was in fact a, a full rupture the Warriors uh, being. Question They said that number one, they KD found an outside doctor, and that they and the outside doctor were of the opinion, per Steve Kerr, that the worst that was going to happen was a re injury of the calf. Now, clearly, given how the calf felt, and some of the reporting from Chris Haynes the, the next day, too, you know, that he wasn't 100%, there was still some soreness in the calf. And, and it's also just a, a matter of how quickly you're ramping up activity coming back from those muscle injuries, where if you go, because not only is it a matter of the swelling and the damage but you haven't been using that muscle for a, a period of time and so if you just go to playing an nba game right away it, there's a, a greater possibility of re-injuring it but there's also some discussion that the athletic had, had a piece on this former giants trainer like san francisco giants trainer uh Stan conti noting that if the achilles or if the calf injury happened further down in the achilles that the, then you are, you are further down on, on the calf you're more likely it, to cause injury to the achilles if you come back too quickly if it's more higher up in the belly of the muscle uh that you're not going to have that risk necessarily and we saw katie with ice go you know, down on that lower area so it, it would seem that the serena had affected there this is before obviously he tore it to see that the ice after practice down a, a, on that lower area so in the blame game is continuing you know steve kerr kind of putting it on the doctors i'm not going to ascribe nefarious cya to steve kerr necessarily uh, but you know he obviously played him 12 out of 14 minutes to start the plan had been for shorter burst and then uh kerr said to chris ballard yesterday that you know, he didn't come out. At the first media timeout, he wanted to play another couple of minutes. He said he was feeling good. And then they brought him back in again after two minutes. I mean, I think then playing him another like six minutes in a row after they brought him back in maybe wasn't the greatest idea. So, and that was what, in Tom Haberstrow's piece, guys from other teams, medical staffs were talking about how it basically was inexcusable to play him that many minutes in a row right at the beginning. And, and I, of course, talked to, on the previous show and I actually went back and listened to our call of it on the NBA cast. And right before he heard it, I was like why are they having him bring the ball up against pressure like this doesn't make any sense like he could re-injure it and yeah I wasn't I didn't think he'd turn the Achilles in fact I said it I didn't think it was the Achilles on the NBA cast that turned out to be wrong Steve Kerr felt the same way uh and then went in at halftime and found out that that's what it was um that's probably enough uh, on kd although oh, i guess the last thing is his opt-out date for that player option i mean it still seems like he's almost certainly going to opt out and there's also reporting that some of these teams that he was seeing it going to are going to offer him you know a full max deal anyway but his opt-out date is june 29th uh which is the latest it can possibly be uh, uh anything we, else on KD? or you, no you we, we can
1: go to his off-rumored teammate future teammate Kyrie irving who who made some some interesting news i mean so irving the first thing which was not new not really a to us is that he is going to opt out of that player option for the 2019-20 season. Not a surprise under any circumstances, whether he's returning to Boston or otherwise, he was going to do that. But also, he is changing agents and that could potentially be significant
0: yeah he is leaving jeff wexler also the agent of jason tatum this is the the second time that wexler has lost a client right before a big payday you recall that happened with harrison barnes when barnes tried to get wexler to reduce his fee from four percent uh down to he had rival agents were going to do it for less than that and wexler said no i'm not reducing my fee and so barnes uh then left and so now irving has as well and so he's joining rock nation jay-z formerly associated with the nuggets i I don't believe he formally is any longer but certainly jay-z is probably involved with rock nation and many deeming this a, a precursor to joining the nets uh Woj noting that the nets and knicks have both hoped to sign irving and KD together in the max salary slot and despite KD going to be out the entire 1920 season the nets and knicks are still both interested in signing durant and irving together let's uh let's turn to the ad saga now we're recording this during the day Hopefully no more news will come out the rest of the day. I guess we can just record on that after the game if we need to. Uh, Rich Paul had a long piece in Sports Illustrated discussing the AD saga, uh, among other things. And he had this quote, they can trade for him, Boston, but it'll be for one year. I mean, if the Celtics traded for Anthony Davis, we would go there and we would abide by our contractual obligations and we would go into free agency in 2020. I've stated that to them. But in the event that he decides to walk away and you give away assets, don't blame Rich Paul now what the reporting indicating that the Celtics are not dissuaded by that that they're aware of that even back in February and then Woj reporting yesterday that talks have accelerated and it's really been the Celtics and Lakers who have been in it the Nets and Clippers also ruined to be in the AD Derby have not been able to glean any kind of traction I love when says traction it's my my favorite word that he uses in the talk so it's kind of down to Lakers versus Celtics the offers from the Lakers are out there now with the number four pick, Darius Garland. Or, or I shouldn't say Darius Garland. That's the presumed number four pick. But the number four pick, Brandon Ingram and Lonzo Ball, supposedly in the deal. No Kyle Kuzma yet. My inclination is that the reason that is out there is because they are trying to get the Celtics to increase their offer. It seems like from the Celtics' standpoint, and this is just a, kind of the buzz and just shooting the shit with everybody here at the finals is the idea that Tatum would probably be in a deal for if the celtics were going to make it and then it's just a question of what else if anything is going to be in there in terms of some of their premium assets obviously there's got to be salary matching as well and what that would be would be interesting uh aaron baines just opt in actually to his player option in boston so he now could potentially be part of that that is a 5.4 million dollar player option uh, for him that he's opted into which uh, you yeah, know i didn't think that was fait accompli that he was going to opt in necessarily though you know he had these ankle issues and maybe you wouldn't have had better offers available uh so who else would it be you know marcus smart who is probably a value contract at 12 million a year the way he shot the ball this year tatum makes 7 million uh so you throw smart and tatum in, that's probably enough to get you there yabu could be part of this as well baines could be part of it so they probably don't need to throw in uh gordon hayward necessarily but it's just a question now of the celtics thinking oh yeah well we think jason tatum is better than that whole package from the lakers so you're not getting anything else I I think that's kind of what it's come down to at this point. Just reading the tea leaves here, and maybe the Celtics could still go in another direction of maybe Jalen Brown and that Memphis pick uh, that's out there as well. But it, it seems like the pells really want to get into trading uh, for guys who are already established, not necessarily draft picks. And to that end, the discussion is that the Lakers are now looking for someone to take the number four pick and give back a veteran with a, a third. You know, well, the Lakers and Pelts, I guess, both. Give back a veteran who you know would be probably a young veteran but who would be someone who could help the Pels more win right away are there any logical targets Danny that stick out to you as being guys they could bring in that would be you know better for the Pelicans with the number four pick and that team would rather have the number four pick
1: not particularly
0: yeah because that's not enough to get like Brad Beal
1: no and I mean Washington doesn't even have a GM right now so that would be a yeah. hard a hard trade to make I mean I don't I I Shepard it sounds like like he's gonna run the draft but does that mean he also is running bradley beale trades? like then basically you should yeah. hire him as your gm so yeah i don't yeah. i don't and, particularly and, like
0: and the, and the wizards are basically waiting on messiah at this point it seems like so uh from a basketball standpoint i have no idea why messiah would want to do that but maybe there's some of this washington proximity stuff uh there could be something more to it, that it, it, um, to me
1: it feels yeah. more like the washington leverages you know where it's just like hey
0: yeah well that's that, that seems realistic too yeah um i mean one that zach low floated was zach Low. Levine from the bulls for well I mean the number four pick
1: I, I think that would have to be I'd mean, to be that if, if the bulls if you get anything even close to that just take it and run <laughs>
0: yeah well they probably would have to take on solomon hill doesn't matter Tim- <laughs> i mean
1: i don't think they're they're any of the teams involved have salary bad enough where i would where i would i mean i consider levine a negative value contract not not as strong a negative value as when he signed it because he had a he had a solid year but if you can get out of that and i mean because also that would change the bulls we just did their free agent preview i mean that they would be in a very different place without his money on their book
0: yeah although again i I don't see them as huge players in, in free agents, but you know maybe in the restricted market they could Yeah,
1: or in the trade player. market they could even like retool a little bit, build the asset base maybe they can just draft Jackson yeah. Hayes a little higher
0: <laughs> yeah there's a report they might be interested in him uh, today I, I don't know how seriously I, I take that so we'll see I, you know the, nothing comes to mind for me as someone that is really gonna excite David Griffin as a young veteran that you can get for the number four pick a few other items of news Jonas Valanciunas will opt out surprisingly of the 17.6 million dollars that he would have been due uh, on a player option from the Memphis Grizzlies and Wode saying that he hopes that that Valanciunas hopes to re-sign with the Grizz on a longer term pack and what do you think of that idea for the Grizz
1: I'm not a fan I I I think that Jaron Jackson his best position eventually is going to be at the five so committing serious money to somebody else who is a five only player especially if it ends up being an you know it maybe not a strong negative value contract but I would say a negative value contract overall that it just you lose flexibility without a particularly good reason reason and I don't think Valanchunas is so much better than the like even I mean he's better than the mid-level exception type options but I also don't think there's that much urgency so I would not do that as the Grizzlies front office personally but I'm assuming they feel differently because otherwise why would you decline this option
0: yeah and certainly you you wouldn't see him getting much out there uh, on the open market that would be commensurate with that I mean I think JV is an underrated player in some ways because he is really good at the things he's supposed to be good at he's a, a good role man good offensive rebounder and maybe you could see him if he comes back for 12 million a year that you could start with him and jaron and then you know if you need to close smaller you could go with with jaron at center and jaron's a, a long way away from being a fully formed player and they also just if valentunas were to leave they would just have nothing at center next year and other than jackson and then they're kind of limited on the wing as well i mean i guess Kyle anderson will be back so yeah i, I mean i don't think it's going to be a great deal to pay him more than you know enough that it's worth it for him to opt out he did make a positive impression there once he uh arrived in memphis so i don't know that this will be a killer contract you know if it comes in at 15 million a year then yeah not looking good if it's 11 12 million a year okay you can probably live with that but when you say that brooke lopez who is just a much better defensive player than him much better fit with his shooting is unlikely to get more than the full mid-level you know that contract doesn't look as good michael Kidd gilchrist underwent surgery to repair a chronic groin strain He, he has already opted in to the four Year of his deal, but he's so expected to make a full recovery in time for Hornets training camp in September. In Cleveland, continuing building out a very interesting staff, they have hired UC Berkeley women's head coach Lindsey Gottlieb to be an assistant coach on John Beeline's staff. In Orlando, Melvin Frazier, who was a massive disappointment, it drafted in the mid 30s last year as maybe a potential 3D and D wing and basically just could not get it on the court to save his life on a team that was, you know, it's not like he had a ton of competition. He was like Wes Awund do that he's competing with for backup wing minutes he just didn't play hardly at all. He had surgery to repair a stress fracture in his right tibia uh which was diagnosed in late May. Not sure whether that was something that was hampering him during the season but uh, Frazier looking like a disappointing pick so far. The Houston Rockets have claimed the recently waived at Deontay Davis from the Hawks. His guarantee date is at the end of July, so they'll have a chance. This is probably just to to bring him in in summer league, and then also they could guarantee him and and use him as salary ballast in a trade. And then finally, this is great news to to close on, the Miami Heat have made the most seismic hire of the NBA offseason, bringing in one Liam Doyle as a basketball analyst in their analytics department congrats to liam you you heard him on this show we're really proud to have hopefully played a small role in uh his visibility and development as a basketball analyst but awesome to see him get hired by the he previously had a, a short internship with the the thunder and i can't take too much credit I, I know he thanked both of us but uh for this because really this is just his tireless work and networking and uh he was just uh, awesome to have him uh, working with us. Uh, ben Doll is going to take over now uh, as the Director of Insight and Foresight. He- he's getting promoted from a uh, Director of Basketball Research, uh, so so he'll be, be helping us out uh, on the pod now addition to the NBA cast, but uh, congrats again to Liam. It-, it was just an absolute pleasure having him, and we're really going to miss uh, his work. We thought that maybe there's some possibility he's going to come back after the thing with the Thunder ended, but now to see him uh, starting a full-time position with the Heat, uh, just really proud of him and-, and really happy for him.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's for selfish reasons. It's disappointing because he did, he was just so valuable to, to make life easier on us. And he did, did such great work on the pod. Like, I mean, it, it's funny how that happens sometimes because he's, he's on air. So people can associate him with that. But I mean, the amount of, the amount of work that he did just like helping us with 15 and sixties and everything else is just, it, it, I mean, it, I, it was hard to, it's hard to explain how much better that made things for us because that was work we used to do by ourselves all the time. And I'm so thrilled for his success. Well-earned and it's, it's thrilling to 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 see that i'm i'm so happy for him and really happy for the heat too that they're getting somebody in their office who's going to who's going to put in the time and and really hopefully make their make their team better and it's it's gonna be really exciting to see that and
0: i don't know i'm a little worried though like uh, that heat conditioning program it is pretty legendary like Liam, you uh uh, are you gonna be able to get in shape in time before (laughs) before you maybe they put uh, some clauses in his contract in july that'd be great if they put those clauses in the contracts
1: of the front office people too it's like like, hey, yeah. the,
0: the, the daily body fat weigh-ins, is that something he's going to be able to handle?
1: <laughs> you get access to the, you get access to the facilities, but you also have those requirements in your, like, if you got the choice of doing that, it'd be fascinating. Oh
0: man. I, as, as hard as you have to work to also have to like stay in that level of shape. It's like, it'd be uh be pretty difficult. Uh, all right. Um, I think we are wrapping this up unless any other news happens, uh, after we've recorded here. Well, I'll mention that I, I
1: had two pieces drop on the athletic on Thursday within a half an hour of each other. I believe, um, one is on the, uh, Basically, I did a Q&A on kind of the Kevin Durant issue, and so I talked about the disabled player exception and what options are on the table for him, free agency, all that kind of stuff. I'm still doing research into insurance because that's a thing that I don't know particularly well, and I didn't want to be reckless and write about it when I didn't know. So that'll come in. My other piece is one that I've been actually working on for three weeks, which is on the death and possible rebirth of the sign-in trade. And so I went into the history of basically why it happened that sign-in trades went out of the league, and then how they could revive in some small fashion with this un- unusual restricted free agency and a couple other things. So both those pieces are available on The Athletic right now.
0: All right, we'll talk to you all next time. Till then. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365.